I feel that one of the, well, probably the biggest battle that we face as Christians, I think, is going on up here. And we heard about some of the big weapons of our mind from Pastor Michael the other day. And to add to that, I suppose, one of the biggest weapons I believe our natural mind has is self-condemnation. Have you noticed that at all? Self-condemnation. And perhaps tonight we're thinking about the year that's been. I want us to be thinking about the year that's been reflecting on that and thinking about the year ahead with a positive spirit, uh, with a view to making positive change, not with a mindset of self-condemnation, all the people said. And so that's what I want to have a little bit of a look at. So we'll start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We have to start with a couple of definitions. Uh, so there's, there's four different Greek words that are in different spots translated as uh, condemnation at least once. And uh, two of those mean, uh, the word means a decision or a judgment. And the other two, so crema and crisis, not sure how they're pronounced, correct me. I'm sure I'm wrong. Um, the other two are catochrema and catachresis. They're not just uh, a judgment. They're a judgment with an adverse outcome, an adverse sentence. And all four of those words, as well as being translated, depending on the context, as different words like judging or judgment, are translated as condemnation in certain contexts. And so there is, there's a process of making a judgment, Right. I'm going to face judgment or I'm going to make a judgment. Then there is judgment, which is a decision. It is my judgment that X. And there is, then there is judgment, which is actually, you know, a sentence. And, um, you know, condemnation. And in its most basic sense, condemnation means, uh, comes from like sentencing someone to death. And if it sounds like damnation, it's because they have the same sort of word background, the same um, etymology. So, and then there's self-condemnation. And self-condemnation, of course, isn't really a, a biblical term, but it's a word we use to describe what we do in our minds sometimes. And it's really blaming ourselves and putting ourselves down because of some way in which we've fallen short or we perceive that we've fallen short. It could be of our own expectations, somebody else's or, or even God's expectations. So self-condemnation, what are we talking about? Now, the Bible um, doesn't tell us to condemn ourselves. <laughs> I'm sure you won't be surprised with that. Um, it tells us there's no condemnation. What does that mean? What's that all about? And what can we learn from that? It tells us the opposite uh, of condemning ourselves. It tells us to examine ourselves. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, to examine ourselves. And in verse 31, it says, verse 31 from the New King James 4, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So it doesn't tell us to condemn ourselves. It tells us to judge ourselves. And that word judge there, where it first appears in verse 31, means to separate thoroughly or in other words, to sort of completely investigate and look into ourselves so that we would not be judged. And the second time the word judge appears means to make a determination so that we would not come into the judgment of God. And so that, in verse 32, so that we are not condemned with the world. So it's quite the opposite. Examine ourselves, not condemn ourselves. Now, self-examination is critical. And self-examination on a night like tonight, on a day like today, on a communion service like we had this morning is critical. Self-examination leads to a realization of something. It leads to repentance. It leads to seeking the Lord, doesn't it? That leads to forgiveness. It leads to making a positive change. I'm going to do something different. 
a positive change, positive outcome. Self-condemnation is very different to that. Self-condemnation is our tricky, nasty little minds uh, taking that conviction and then dwelling on it and stewing on it. And really, I would say like mutating it or transforming it into uh, assertions and accusations. And our minds level accusations against us like you're such a failure, you're completely inadequate and worthless, how are you still struggling with that same sin, you're hopeless, you may as well give up. And I've noticed we've touched on Satan a couple of times actually, Pastor Chris gave a talk and Pastor Michael as well, Satan himself is the accuser. I think our natural minds are actually doing the job of Satan on his behalf when we make accusations against ourselves like that. And you'll recall Jesus at the start of his ministry after he fasted 40 days, went up to the mountain and he was tempted by Satan. And three times he basically declared the word of God to him and he said, it is written three times and he quoted scripture. And I believe that when we have these thoughts from our natural mind, we actually just to speak to our natural mind from the mind of Christ, speak to our natural mind from the word of God and declare the word of God and say, it is written. So I've got a few key thoughts from the Word of God to help us all um, fight against self-condemnation. So John chapter 3 is the first one of those, and it touches on really um, Jesus' purpose, and it says in verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not what he's about, basically. But that the world through him might be saved. The world was already condemned. It says in verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came because we were condemned, because we were already condemned. So when, we're, when we have these thoughts of self-condemnation, hold on to this scripture, it's just not what Jesus is about. Jesus is about saving. So key thought number one, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save it. Hold on to that one. All right. First John chapter 1. It's another great scripture here. There's heaps we could turn to, uh, honestly. is like we could easily come up with a list of 50 scriptures, no worries at all about battling self-condemnation. But I've picked out three or four. First John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all have sins, make mistakes. We all do the wrong thing. We think the wrong thing. Verse 9, If we confess our sins... He is faithful, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know, and we remembered it this morning, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross and he let his blood flow in order that he could pay for our sins. So when we sin and we put our hand up and we confess it, he's actually being faithful to his own promise, faithful to his own commitment that this is what I went to the cross for. And I actually look at another way, which is if I have a sin and I put my hand up and I say, Lord, I've sinned, forgive me, it would be unjust of Jesus to withhold that because he would be saying, actually, no, in that case, my blood is not precious enough. But we know that the blood of Jesus is precious enough. And so it says that he's faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins. In other words, we can hold fast, we can lay claim, we can approach the throne of grace boldly. Isaiah chapter 43 is another scripture. Isaiah 43 verse 25. This is fantastic. All right. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The key thought number three is, God doesn't remember my sins, neither will I. Our natural mind is, um, it has this way of just dragging things up from the past, doesn't it? And sort of holding it up against our own minds as evidence. See, look, see, there's a pattern emerging here. Remember that time, this, that, and it sort of dangles them in front of us and says, and it, and it condemns us. And it says, see, you really are worthless because of all these things that you've done. But the Lord God who created heaven and earth, who knows all things, who in Revelations it says who is and who was and who is to come, he doesn't remember them. He doesn't bring them to remembrance. So we can say, natural mind, no, I'm not going to remember that. I'm, not, I'm just going to forget about that. I'm not going to dwell on it. God doesn't remember my sins, neither will I. And all the people said... All right, one more here, John chapter 5 and verse 22, and it talks about, you know how condemnation is related to judgment. It talks here about um, judgment being given to Jesus Christ, and it says in verse 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So all authority to judge has been given by God to Jesus Christ. In verse 24, it says, the same Jesus who went to the cross for us, who's already gone to the cross for us, all authority has been given to him. Verse 24, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, which is the opposite of condemnation, and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. So this is, this is really what's happening, is that we are in Jesus, Jesus is given the authority to judge, and he's already chosen to give us life. So we don't even come into judgment. Do you get it? We, we skip over the process of being judged, which is why it says if you would judge yourselves, you would not be judged. He's already chosen to save us. He's already chosen to give us life. It goes on in verse 28. It says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, so there's a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So there are two resurrections. And one point I want to touch on is that when we talk about self-condemnation, that's like, it's like a mental process, which we sort of take ourselves through, or maybe a feeling that we have. And it could be anywhere on a spectrum, right? You could feel not at all self-condemned, or you could feel extremely self-condemned, or you could feel sort of halfway self-condemned, or a bit more today, or a bit less today, depending on circumstances. It's a spectrum, right? But um, in reality, as it relates to actual resurrection, actual condemnation, there's just two, there's two states. There's resurrection to life and a resurrection to condemnation. There's nothing else. It's one and it's zero. It's open, closed. It's on, off. There's, just two, there's nothing in between. There's nothing in the middle. 
So it's a good example, it's a good reminder that when we feel self-condemned or a bit self-condemned or half self-condemned today, there's just no truth in that feeling because it's not representative of our actual status of salvation. Our actual status of salvation is tied up in the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us. And so we need to stay in Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. So key thought number four, Jesus alone is judge and he's already chosen to make us alive in him. So now with that, we turn to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 verse 1, it just makes complete sense now, doesn't it? Romans 8 verse 1, we'll spend a little bit of time here in Romans 8. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, if we're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, zero. There's not a, a little bit, there's just there's none at all. It's already It's already been dealt with. And importantly, though, this isn't where, I guess, the talk ends or what we're really meditating on and thinking about ends because there's a big, there's a, a big if, isn't there, which is about walking according to the Spirit, basically staying in Jesus Christ. And our number one priority in life, really what we should be thinking about tonight, the only thing that really matters is, walking, is looking after our walk in the Spirit. That's, the, that's really the only thing that matters, walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is a very simple thing. And our mind, I think our mind gets in the way of that, and it seems to make it seem complicated and hard and arduous. But it's really very simple. And we could look again at 50 different Scriptures, but I just want to pick a few out of where we are here in Romans chapter 8 about walking in the Spirit and what, what's that all about. So verse 9, for example but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So that's where it starts. It starts with the receiving the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody that's still seeking to receive the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. That's why we love to pray with people to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, what else? Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows that the mind, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we heard about this this morning, we've heard about it a few times at camp about the power of prayer and the power of praying in the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means praying regularly in the Holy Spirit. It's how, the it's how the Spirit makes intercession for us. We don't know what it's saying, but we know that it's, uh, it's ministering to our heart. It's ministering, to our, it's ministering to the spiritual man. It's building up the spiritual man in the mind of Christ. So my thought is, well, if I'm not praying regularly in the Holy Spirit, it's like I've got this battle going on up here in the old grey matter, and I'm not feeding the spiritual troops. I'm just letting them starve. Because it's prayer in the Holy Spirit, it's reading of the Word, these simple things that build up and strengthen the mind of Christ in us. All right, verse 5, another one. Uh, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means setting our mind on spiritual things. It's kind of everything, isn't it? It's kind of... All of our thoughts, everything that we do, 
when our motivation is the love of God, it's spiritual. So coming to camp is spiritual. Uh, getting to the meeting early on a Sunday to help set up is spiritual. Uh, going to the outreach this afternoon, playing soccer. I didn't play soccer today. We'll go to the outreach. But they're spiritual things. Engaging with our kids to demonstrate the love of God to them is a spiritual thing. What does it say in Philippians chapter 4? Whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are noteworthy, meditate on these things. Praise the Lord. And I must mention in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So walking in the Spirit is also putting to death the deeds of the body. In other words, being free from condemnation is not a hall pass to walk in the flesh, to do whatever we want. In fact, it says if we choose to walk in the flesh, then we will die. And the Bible says, it says basically don't be ridiculous. It says don't kid yourselves, don't kid the Lord. It says do not be deceived, God is not mocked. It says, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And walking in the Spirit means making good choices, making wholesome choices, and saying, this is what I want. I want to seek righteousness. I want to pursue righteousness. And then when we do make a mistake, which is every day, pretty sure, when we do make a mistake, we go through this simple process. We repent. We seek the Lord. He forgives us. And we move on. That's it. That's the process. So self-condemnation has no role to play in that process. You can see where it kind of tries to jump in. You know, the point of a little bit of conviction, that's where it tries to jump in. But it has no purpose and no role to play in that process. Self-condemnation is simply the flesh, trying to do the work of the flesh. And we need to battle it with, as it is written, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save it. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive my sins. God doesn't remember my sins, neither will I. Jesus alone is judge and he's already chosen to give me life. And all the people said, Amen. I just, if you bear with me, want to read one more scripture in Romans 8, verse 31 here. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? <clears throat> he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So nobody can condemn the children of God, least of all ourselves. Jesus Christ has already has all authority and he's already chosen to save us. Let's stay in him. Let's walk in the spirit. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.